Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast, where we look inside the mind of seven-figure entrepreneurs to see how they amplify their business and amplify their life. Let's welcome today's guest. Scaling a international brand identity business from £1 million to £6 million in just over a year that was then sold to US Communications Group into public, gave today's guest the time and freedom to pursue her entrepreneurial passions and take care of her three girls at the same time. Currently, she has a training business called Ideal Client Success, which helps service providers, consultants, and coaches move from their harder hustle loop to the path of profitable expansion. She's the host of the Smarter Connector podcast. Please give a very warm welcome to Jane Baylor. How are you doing, Jane? Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. I'm doing fine today. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me on the show. Yes, it's going to be it's going to be an exciting show. So um jane, jane listen as soon as we we dive in you you help scale a brand identity business from one million pounds to six million for any anyone who's in american currency at the moment i think that works out about uh from something from from about one and a half million to about nine million dollars something like that in just over a year so what do you feel are the secrets to scaling Yeah. So when I look back on that journey, it was obviously a crazy time, as you can imagine, with all of that growth crammed into a very short space of time. Um, But looking back, you get some more clarity, I think, on the themes really that, that emerge. And I think the most important aspect of that growth was really hyper niching. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, it's, it's just going to take people a lot longer if they have a more general um, niche and positioning. But our speciality was actually broadcast corporate identity. And that particular time, it was a very, very um, emerging area, should we say. And there were probably, if, if a big television company only had, uh, well, did, did a, a television corporate identity revamp once every five to 10 years, for example, there were probably only a handful of businesses in the world that they could go to to actually entrust them to do a good job because it was quite a sizable project doing something like that, as you can imagine. Mm. So we started off not uh, just doing title sequences and, and small kind of work. And then we realized, I say we, I mean, this is something that I was kind of tasked with as MD of the business. Look, where is the opportunity? Where is the you know, strategic advantage. And to me, it was really, really clear, you know, why stay in London and sort of mess around with all these other production companies, these little production companies that are always undercutting one another in terms of price, you know, who were very creative because London is an internationally recognized hub of creativity. Um, but, you know, the projects were small. There were, uh, there was a lot of insane competition And the reason uh, why these companies weren't doing what uh, we ended up doing was simply because they weren't really willing to back themselves. And so I had this chat with the, uh, the guy that actually brought me in. So he was the owner of the business. And I said, look, 
you're going to have to stop taking all the money out of the business and you're going to have to start making some investments here. Mm-hmm. And we had this conversation about, well, should we actually attract investors? Should we actually take on an angel investor? Because by this time, the business was ticking over pretty much at a kind of year on year around a million pounds, but it was not growing. It had been staying at that level uh, for, for you know two to three years. And also, technically, it was actually insolvent. Um, so it was tipping over into insolvency despite turning over a million pounds. So he said, well, yeah, OK, I believe in what you're saying and I am willing to make some investments to go international. So it was actually moving from local to global that really, really made that difference and actually going all out to position ourselves differently alongside some much bigger players. So so being international then was the I'm guessing there wasn't many London based uh brand identity agencies are actually global agencies that were that were being able to do that thing that you were doing in different countries well i mean there were lots of obviously global media companies and in fact uh when we were we were sold to a u.s communications group called interpublic and at that time we were absorbed into a uk brand identity leading brand identity agency called future brand so that was at that particular time it wasn't that um you know, that the companies like ours didn't have global capacity. But what was really unique is that essentially we were a production company. So we had moving image capability. And this was something that it was a very, very specialist niche mm-hmm. um, that these other businesses didn't have because we were more kind of aligned with, if you like, film production and uh, commercials and and uh, moving moving image graphics uh, that type of thing and that tended to be the preserve of either these little cottage industry uh, businesses that just kind of sprung up around whoever was the creative director or um, it was the uh, post-production houses who would produce all the Uh, you know, the graphics for like, you know, the kind of high end pop promos and that type of thing. Mm. So it was either them or it was the like the little the little companies. But there wasn't really there was a gap in the market, to be honest. Uh, And and that was a thing that we stepped in to fill. Yeah. And it's always always about spotting those strategic advantages that that you go. um, You know, I was was speaking to someone on on the podcast the other day and it was like it's better to be different than just better you know like what makes you an outlier um what makes you different you know that kid at school who was the one that didn't really get on with anyone else and was like that they're usually the ones that did really well after after school and it's, it's the same kind of thing in business as well right yeah exactly so so you know I think there's uh there's a famous saying saying observe the the masses and do the opposite Mm -hmm. now in fact that is easier said than done so I have to say that um that there is also following uh following a certain kind of uh, zeitgeist should we say and at that particular time I think a lot of the television companies were actually waking up to the fact that you know branding was important and that it wasn't just about the television programs but actually the way that their that their channel actually looked and how they badged everything um was going to give them a a real strategic advantage in the market so you know, it was a combination of, let's just say, a following wind and also just spotting that tight little niche 
that um, for us was that massive step up. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely makes a lot of sense. Now, mo- most entrepreneurs get into business with the idea of making more and working less, but uh, let, let's be honest, it doesn't really always pan out that way. So, <laughs> so what, what do you feel matters most in business and, and in life? Well, I mean, I'm a very values driven person. So I think the impact that you have on other people at the end of the day, for me and connection is the thing that I really care about the most. Now, when I was in that uh, process of actually uh, building that business, it was so full on. I have to say that I was traveling around the world constantly because there were obviously this would not be happening now with the pandemic and Uh, I I don't really know because I'm not in that world right now. But at that particular time, um, there would be these huge television festivals that we would go to and they would be global events. So there would be ones in America that I would go to a couple of times a year. And then there would be ones in Cannes that we happen a couple of times a year. And so it was really an absolutely crazy whirlwind of kind of getting on planes, staying in hotels, Uh, being in these really, really beautiful and very luxurious settings, which was um, amazing. I mean, we had some really, really, really fantastic experiences that are just totally unforgettable, actually. But uh, at the same time, it was such hard work. It was absolutely grueling at times. Um, So I, I think what I've noticed is that there's an expectation and I don't know where this has come from. I think it's probably to do with a lot of the marketing that is kind of going on these days that scaling a business is easy and that it's quick. And the answer is, I I just don't (laughs) believe that. I just don't believe it. You know, I believe that it is, it is, um, you know, people want to have the result without engaging in the process you know, the process, I'm afraid it, it is um, it, it is no mean feat to scale to seven figures and then multiple seven figures. And you have to roll up your sleeves and be prepared for, for some hard work, I think. Yeah, 100%. I <laughs> certainly agree, agree with that. Uh, so now here's a problem a lot of people are facing they might be saying i'm growing every month but my time is maxing out so and i can only take on one more client so how, how do you actually grow whilst protecting your time yeah so that's very very important and really this comes down to systems and systemization of course as many people know but it is very hard, I think, for many uh, entrepreneurs to actually let go and to entrust other people. And that is the thing that keeps them, you know, wearing too many hats and, you know, being too controlling and really having to kind of double check everybody and make sure that, um, you know, that, that nothing is going wrong. And I think, you know, it is a genuine issue for entrepreneurs, because, of course, when you're running a business, it's your baby and nobody else is going to care like you do. So I totally believe that um, it's very good to incentivize people by actually giving them, you know, some form of uh, an incentive. So share options, for example, you know, that's a good thing if they're not absolutely integral to the company. I mean, for me, I wouldn't have been happy with share options because I knew that that I needed to have some shares in mm. the business and that that needed to be, 
you know, I, I needed to have that all buttoned down because otherwise I, I wouldn't have put in the commitment that I did. Skin but, in the game, essentially. Yes, yeah, skin in the game, exactly. But um, I do believe that if you give people, um, you really have to think about, okay, how am I going to really retain and motivate them? And obviously, you know, time off to, you know, working hours to see the spend more time with their children or pick them up from school or whatever only goes so far. When you're trying to motivate high level people, then it really is going to be a lot more about, OK, you know, how am I going to make the money? <laughs> now, now there's there's a problem that a lot of people are facing that they're probably growing every month but the time is just you know it's getting really maxed out so you probably have these people going through the situation where they can only take on one more client so how do you how do you grow while actually protecting your time at, at the same time yeah well you have to learn to let go and that's a lot harder than a lot of people think because as entrepreneurs obviously our business is our baby mm. and it is quite hard to entrust other people with key aspects of that so what happens is a lot of entrepreneurs, they get into this situation where they're wearing all hats, all the hats, and they're just trying to control other people and monitor and supervise them. And really, that just doesn't work. So you have to really, if you want to grow and scale, you have to bring other high level talent into your business and you have to reward them and motivate them appropriately. And uh, really, you know, giving them people talk, talk about, OK, motivate people through their values. I mean, yes, some people want to be able to take their children to school, for example. When when I was working in the business, I really valued the fact that I didn't have to come in till 1030 mm. uh, because, um, you know, I wanted to I wanted to do that. So that was all that was all good. But that only goes so far, because at the end of the day and particularly in media businesses, People are in it for the money. You know, they really mm. are. Um, they want to make, they want to generate really good money. And so what you have to do, I think, is just, uh, you know, consider your share structure and consider um, the shareholders agreement and how you are going to motivate and reward people through things like share options or share agreements, uh, actually bringing them into the business because you may lose um, a little bit on paper or you may lose quite a lot on paper, but one of the most um, successful businesses that I know that was actually in our space, the owner ended up with something like 30% of the shares but he had grown a phenomenal business and he had a really senior team that were in it for the long term. And they were um, really engaged with the business and they gave it that all for many, many, many years. So um, different people do it different ways. But I think sometimes people are far too reluctant to give away equity. And I think that does keep them small. Yeah, it's interesting to say that. I remember reading the book Built to Sell and... Um... That was one of the things that they added in there. If you've never read that book, like highly recommend. It's a great story mm. as well. Uh, but like through through the end of the book, then he, he gives shares to all the, all the team, and then they're like, they're really incentivizing it. And it was like, but won't it devalue the business? It was like, no, because it shows that the team is actually investing. As long as you give the right amount away, right? Like like you say, if you're left with thirty percent of the business, that could be all right in the long term. But if you're going to do that out the gate, you're probably going to be in a bit of a mess. 
Well, and I also think you have to be very, very careful about who you give those shares to, mm. uh, because many, many businesses, and in fact, this even happened to the business uh, before I came into it. So the uh, partner, um, basically, there was a big falling out between the two partners in the business because they were both creative directors. Mm -hmm. And they never really saw eye to eye because they didn't have um, complementary skills. They had they, they weren't really compatible. They both did the same thing. And what they really lacked is somebody like me who had a more kind of strategic and business focus. Um, and so what would happen is, is they would never be able to agree on a direction and they would fall out because when a really nice piece of work came in, they both wanted to do it. And they had these kind of, you know, rival factions within the company. Uh, so it was a bit like uh, everybody said when we were there, this is a bit like being in a, a family with these unhappy parents who we know it's all going to end up in divorce because you have to be in either his camp or his camp. And if you were in their camp, then you would automatically be excluded. And, and oh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, so yeah, you you don't want to be in that situation. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting to say about that. I mean, one one of the big things that we focus on is is culture, and when we're when we're hiring on, so we we have a process that you you start off with a seven day trial. Now, if you if you don't make it past the seven days, you don't make it past seven days, and then we have a ninety day onboarding as well. Um, and I don't give people passwords to anything, even in the first week, because I don't I don't want to invest in too much just in case. I mean. It, like if you were hiring new members of the team on that, how do, how do you make sure that they are a good culture fit? Yeah, so uh, that's a really, really good question. And I think there's no easy answer because actually I believe that much like dating, uh, people are always on their best behavior in the beginning. They'll be on their best behavior in the interview and they'll be on their best behavior for the first few weeks and maybe even for the first few months. And then eventually their true character will come out. So, you know, really you have to take a risk on people. And I think obviously, you know, you can get testimonials, but I remember there was one guy that I hired in, into quite a senior position and um, he came with glowing testimonials. He interviewed really, really well. He looked like he was doing all the right things, you know, for the first few months. And he turned into an absolute nightmare. I don't know what was wrong with that guy, but, you know, he had some serious kind of dysfunction. And, um, you know, you have to be willing, I think, to act very, very promptly if somebody is, let's just say, a bad apple, they're upsetting the apple cart. And the other thing that we had in our business is we had quite a lot of drug issues because we were in central London. We were in Soho. We were, you know, in this kind of like really sort of, you know, heavy, heavy duty kind of media sort of circus environment and I'm afraid there are a lot of drugs around so I did have to uh sometimes um address that should we say yeah that 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 must have been that's not a challenge that I've had to uh I had to encounter yeah but I can imagine that would be pre pretty challenging so mm -hmm. one question that we ask everyone as well Janie comes on the show is what do you want to be remembered for when you die yeah, so uh, as I said right uh, at the beginning, I really care about connections. So I, I, the thing that I care about most is the impact that I have on other people. Um, I want to be a good role model, obviously, to my girls. That really matters to me a lot. And I want to be known as somebody who really cared and who really made a difference. And I particularly love to support entrepreneurs. And in fact, I do uh, support entrepreneurs, whether they have the money to pay me or not 
through doing things like uh, podcasting and I have a Facebook group with over 3000 people in it. And I, so I really like to give a lot and I want to be remembered as somebody who had a really generous spirit and who was a very, very giving person because that matters to me a lot. I, I think no man is an island and the impact that we have on other people is what is left when we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very much so. Um, and like, uh, depending when you listen to this, like uh, I'm, I'm watching some of the Euros like football at the moment as well. And they're saying these players are really good on certain teams, but then they're, they're not the sum of their parts, you mm. know? So it is very much a, a team effort, whatever it is in life uh, yeah. to get to where you want to go. And Jane, what is one quick win that people can use to amplify their business today? Yeah, so a quick win. Uh, well, it's working really with the right clients is mm. the number one thing. So being very, very clear on who you serve, uh, because I think a lot of people waste a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to wear multiple hats and, and appeal to different people and different avatars. But hopefully one thing that my story will have illustrated is that when you target a very specific group of people so that if when you go out there in the online environment and you are clear about who you're aiming at to the point that you can actually identify them on say social media or whatever and say oh that's the person then your whole journey becomes a lot clearer so I think it all starts with that Mm. yeah and just to dive into that a little bit more like how, how does someone identify that in the first instance yeah, well, I think it's it's not always easy. And I, I mean, I actually have a program called Ideal Client Success. So I do help people with this. But um, I think it, it really is just a, a process of actually starting with um, a very symptomatic approach in terms of what is their pain. Because, you know, you're not going to get uh, business or scale up a business unless you're solving a problem. So what is the problem or the pain that you're solving? So if you don't think about the person to begin with, but you think about the exact problem or pain, I think that is the first place to start because um, people will always buy in terms of solving their problems or pain rather than um, achieving their dreams and goals. That tends to come second. Uh, Obviously, they're both important, but um, most people will initially buy because they have a problem that they need to solve. Yeah, my mentor always says to me, sell painkillers, not vitamins. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I don't know who your mentor is, but yeah, he's definitely on the right track. (laughs) Definitely. He's he's a behind-the-curtains kind of guy. We don't... Don't don't reveal uh, very much <laughs> that kind of guy. Um, so next, Jane, what seven figure entrepreneur would you nominate to be on the show next? Yeah, so I had um, I, I had a speaker at my um, Pocket MBA event, which was about a year and a half ago. It just seems so long ago before all this craziness hit and his name is Sanjeev Kumar so I'd like to uh, nominate him he's the chief executive of uh, DTR Holdings so it's a, it's basically a global tech company and he's also the chief executive of Harley Street Healthcare so they're a very thriving and interesting healthcare practice and I think he would be a really interesting guest for you 
Mm, yeah, that sounds sounds fantastic. Yeah. And where where can people find out more about you, Jane? Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty kind of omnipresent, shall we say? Um, so I have a podcast called The Smart Connectors. So please head on over there because I've got some interviews with some amazing people, including you, Paul. Yeah. So that's a great place to start. I also am on LinkedIn. I have, um, you know, well. I have a profile on all the social media platforms. So basically you can find me anywhere. I'm on every single social media platform. Jane Baylor, uh, look out for me or go to my website, uh, www.janebaylor.com. Fantastic. So go to janebaylor.com. You've been listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast with me, Paul Ace, and my amazing guest, Jane Baylor. Remember, amplify your business and amplify your life. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast. To access the show notes, episodes, and this month's giveaway, head over to www.amplifytosevenfigures.com. Remember, amplify your business, amplify Amplify your your life.